section fourteen of passages from the life of a philosopher this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. passages from the life of a philosopher by charles babbage section fourteen recollections of the duke of wellington my acquaintance with the late duke of wellington commenced in an official visit from himself and mr goulburn the chancellor of the exchequer to inspect the drawings and works of the difference engine number one this was in november eighteen twenty nine afterwards i met the duke in private society at the houses of one or two of his intimate friends and subsequently i was honoured not unfrequently by receiving him at my own during the exhibition of eighteen fifty one i very often accompanied him in his examination of the contents of that building i made no notes of any of the conversations some of them highly interesting which occurred on such occasions because i felt that the habit of recording privately the conversations with our acquaintances was a breach of faith towards the individual and tended to destroy all confidence in society i now perceive when it is too late that a rigid adherence to that rule has deprived me of the power of relating circumstances of the greatest interest to survivors and of the highest credit to himself i should not even have averted to the subject in the present work had i not observed in the fourth volume of the life of the late general sir charles napier of sind a passage which if not explained might lead to the erroneous interference that i had myself proposed to speak to the duke of wellington on a certain military subject whereas i only did so at the repeated desire of sir charles himself the loss of the birkenhead the following is a portion of a letter from general sir charles napier to his brother general sir william napier extracted from the life of sir charles napier volume four page three forty seven to general w napier eighteen fifty two may second i met babbage at miss burdett coote's he talked about the birkenhead and was very eager saying cannot you speak to the duke of wellington no it would seem a criticising of his conduct well i as a civilian may yes and you will do good for the duke alluded to the subject at the royal academy dinner an hour ago babbage did so at once asking him to move in the matter and the duke said he would i also spoke to hardinge who told me he had had a mind to allude to it in his speech at the dinner but feared it might seem a reflection on the duke i have been told that the duke is only awaiting an official dispatch from harry smith or cathcart about the birkenhead to act this is probable as being like his cautious way but to my thinking not well in this case the matter referred to arose thus several years ago a troop ship named the birkenhead was wrecked on the african coast near the cape of good hope a very small portion only of the troops were saved according to the testimony of the survivors the discipline and order which prevailed on board up to the final catastrophe was admirable and almost beyond example if any human means could have saved those invaluable lives 
such discipline would have largely contributed to the result sharing the general regret at this severe loss and sympathizing deeply with the feelings of the surviving relatives it occurred to me that very simple and inexpensive means were available which if employed would at least afford a melancholy consolation to the afflicted relatives might be retained with becoming pride in their families and would also add to the respectability of the social position of the soldier observing that military offences punished by a court-martial were made public by being read at the head of every regiment i suggested that in certain cases publicity should be given by the same means to noble acts of forbearance or of self-devotion in the case of the birkenhead in which ship small detachments of several regiments were lost i suggested that an order should be issued stating the circumstances under which the loss occurred and the nation's approbation of the conduct of the departed that their names should be read at the head of their respective regiments that an official letter signed by the colonel or other proper officer of each regiment describing the nature of the service under which the loss occurred and conveying to the nearest surviving relative the expression of the high approbation the government entertained of such heroic conduct such official testimonials would soothe the feelings of many a relative would become objects of just pride amongst the relations of the departed and be handed down as heirlooms in many a village circle sir charles napier approves i mentioned these views to several of my acquaintances and the idea seemed to meet with general approbation i found my military friends fully alive to the advantage of such a course for the benefit of the service and also as a consolation to surviving relatives amongst others i proposed it to the late sir general sir charles napier he highly approved of the plan about which we had several conversations in one of these i suggested that he should mention it to the duke of wellington to which sir charles replied no i could not do that you should tell him yourself i smiled at the notion not thinking that my friend was in earnest a short time after i met sir charles napier at a large evening party we were sitting together on a sofa talking he resumed the plan i had proposed spoke of it with much approbation and concluded by saying you ought to tell the duke of it i replied that i had thought he was only joking when he had on a former occasion made the same observation no indeed said sir charles i am serious the duke will attend to what you say more than to any of us if you really think so i replied i will follow your counsel i hope i added the duke may excuse me as a civilian for speaking about it but after such an expression of your opinion i feel bound to take that course mentioned to the duke the conversation then turned upon other subjects when shortly after the duke of wellington was announced there observed sir charles is the duke now go and talk to him about it i promised to do so at a proper opportunity after the duke had made his bow to the lady of the house and recognized and conversed with many of his friends i threw myself in his way on the duke shaking hands with me i remarked that i was particularly glad to meet him because an idea had occurred to me in which i thought he would take an interest he stepped with me a little out of the crowd and i then stated shortly my views 
the duke paid great attention to the subject made several remarks upon it and when we separated i felt satisfied that he took a strong interest in it i thought however that he had applied the idea rather more to the officers whilst my main object was the interests of the privates much later in the evening i was taking some refreshment in another room when the duke entering saw and rejoined me he reverted to the subject i observed that though officers and privates should have the same official acknowledgment yet that the commander-in-chief and the government possessed other more substantial means of benefiting the surviving relatives of the officers than of the privates we had some further conversation about it and then i felt quite satisfied that he both understood and approved of it i rather think the duke of wellington moved in the house of lords for certain papers on which he intended to found some measure of the kind but his death shortly after put an end to the question during the year eighteen fifty one i very frequently accompanied the duke of wellington to the exhibition or met him there by appointment at the crystal fountain sometimes one or two of his particular friends usually ladies were invited to join the party on the first occasion i spoke to one of the attending police simply for the purpose of facilitating our passage if we should get into a great crowd which of course did occasionally happen in these cases the policeman a little preceded us and it was very interesting to observe the sudden changes in the countenances of those whom the constable gently touched in order to accelerate our passage on the first slight pressure of the policeman's hand upon the arm of john bull he looked round with indignation but when the policeman quietly asked him to be so good as to allow the duke of wellington to pass the muscles of john bull's countenance relaxed into a grateful smile he immediately made way and in several cases thanked the officer for giving him an opportunity of seeing the duke during the most crowded of those days we at one period became entirely blocked up and stationary for upwards of ten minutes our intelligent companion was himself wedged in at a short distance from us just in front of us stood a woman with a child in her arms of about two years old who was leaning over its mother's shoulder the duke plays with the child the duke began to play with the infant pretending to touch its ear with his finger and then to touch its nose the mother was gratified the child was charmed at last the crowd almost suddenly broke up and we went on after we had advanced about a dozen paces i said to the duke of wellington i must step back to speak to the mother of your young friend i then asked her if she knew the gentleman who had been playing with her child for the last ten minutes she said no sir i told her it was the duke of wellington her surprise and delight were equally great i desired her to tell her boy when he grew up that when an infant the duke of wellington had played with him i then returned and told the duke the object of my mission his approbation was indicated by a happy smile one morning the duke of wellington called in dorset street with the late countess of wilton to whom he wished me to show the difference engine its home was at that period in my drawing-room we sat round it whilst i explained its mode of action and made it calculate some small table of numbers lady wilton's remark on difference engine when i had concluded my explanation lady wilton 
addressing me said now mr babbage can you tell me what was your greatest difficulty in contriving this machine i had never previously asked myself that question but i knew the nature of it well it arose not from the difficulty of contriving mechanism to execute each individual movement for i had contrived very many different modes of executing each but it really arose from the almost innumerable combinations amongst all these contrivances a number so vast that no human mind could examine them all it instantly occurred to me that a similar difficulty must present itself to a general commanding a vast army when about to engage in a conflict with another army of equal or of greater amount i therefore thought it must have been felt by the duke of wellington and i determined to make a kind of psychological experiment upon him carefully abstaining from any military term i commenced my explanation to lady wilton i soon perceived by his countenance that the duke was already in imagination again in spain i then went on boldly with the explanation of my own mechanical difficulty and when i had concluded the duke turned to lady wilton and said i know that difficulty well the author's sketch of the duke's intellectual character the success of this experiment induced me in a subsequent publication footnote the exposition of eighteen fifty two second edition page two hundred twenty two end footnote to give an analysis of one portion of the duke of wellington's intellectual character although i made no mention of his name many of his admirers however perceived at once the truth of those views and recognized the justice of their application i therefore place them before my readers in the following extract from the work referred to it is now felt and admitted that it is the civil capacity of the great commander which prepares the way for his military triumphs that his knowledge of human nature enables him to select the fittest agents and to place them in the situations best adapted to their powers that his intimate acquaintance with all the accessories which contribute to the health and comfort of his troops enables him to sustain their moral and physical energy it has been seen that he must have studied and properly estimated the character of his foes as well as of his allies and have made himself acquainted with the personal character of the chiefs of both and still further that he must have scrutinized the secret motives which regulated their respective governments when directly engaged in the operations of contending armies occupying a wide extent of country he must be able with rapid glance to ascertain the force it is possible to concentrate upon each of many points in any given time and the greater or less chance of faring in the attempt he must also be able to foresee with something more than conjecture what amount of the enemy's force can be brought to the same spot in the same and indifferent times with these elements he must undertake one of the most difficult of mental tasks that of classifying and grouping the innumerable combinations to which either party may have recourse for purposes of attack or defence out of the multitude of such combinations which might baffle by their simple enumeration the strongest memory throwing aside the less important he must be able to discover to fix his attention and to act upon the most favourable 
finally when the course thus selected having been pursued and perhaps partially carried out is found to be entirely deranged by one of those many chances inseparable from such operations then in the midst of action he must be able suddenly to organize a different system of operations new to all other minds yet possibly although unconsciously anticipated by his own the genius that can meet and overcome such difficulties must be intellectual and would under different circumstances have been distinguished in many a different career nor even would it be very surprising that such a commander estimating justly the extent of his own powers and conscious of having planned the best combinations of which his mind is capable should having issued his orders calmly lie down on the eve of the approaching conflict and find in sleep that bodily restoration so indispensable to the full exercise of his faculties in the mighty struggle about to ensue soon after the queen came to the throne the two universities presented addresses to her majesty i accompanied that of cambridge the deputation was very numerous and much unseemly pushing took place i recollect a very short dumpy fellow pushing much more energetically than any other for whom i made way as i retired from the strife in which i was unwillingly involved he not only pushed but was continually jumping up like a parched pea in a heated frying-pan his object being to get a glimpse of her majesty and the effect accomplished being to alight on the toes or graze the heels of his colleagues i retired into a window close to the end of the position occupied by the gentlemen-at-arms the duke of wellington who had a short time before as chancellor of the university of oxford presented the address of that body still remained in the state apartments he joined me in the recess of the window and we entered into conversation the duke assists a pushing m a after a time the little dumpy fellow who had been regularly turned out of the crowd for his pushing came up to us and mistaking the duke of wellington for a beef-eater or some palace attendant complained almost in tears that he wanted to see the queen and that they had pushed him out and that he had not been able to see the queen the duke very good-naturedly said he would take him to a place where he could see her majesty without being pushed about accordingly the duke led him behind the gentleman-at-arms to a situation in which the little man's wish was gratified and then returned with him to the window and resumed the conversation on another occasion the university of cambridge presented an address to the queen at buckingham palace the crowd was very great on descending one of the flights of stairs a short master of arts was unluckily caught by the string of his gown hooking itself upon one of the large door handles he was carried off his legs by the advancing rush to bring back the pendant master of arts a single inch was impossible from the pressure onwards so whilst two or three of his colleagues with difficulty supported him i took out my penknife and cut the imprisoning ribbon all parcels rejected when i published the ninth bridgewater treatise i sent my servant to apsley house with a presentation copy for the duke of wellington the next morning at breakfast my servant informed me that the porter absolutely refused to take it in although he stated from whom it came 
i remarked to my brother-in-law who was staying with me that it was a very odd circumstance and inquired what was to be done he replied when a man refuses to receive a parcel nothing more can be done i then observed that if any other person than the duke had done so i should have taken no further step but i added that i knew his character so well that i was confident there was really a good and sufficient reason although i could not conjecture its nature after breakfast i wrote a short note to the duke mentioning the circumstance taking for granted that it arose entirely from some misconception of his orders i then requested him not to take the trouble of writing to me to explain it but added that i would send the volume to apsley house on the following morning when i had no doubt the mistaken interpretation of his orders would have been rectified about three o'clock the same day a servant of the duke's brought me a note inquiring if there were any answer to take back the duke stated in his note that letters books parcels maps and even merchandise were continually sent to him for the purpose of being forwarded to all parts of the world this he observed threw upon his house steward so great a responsibility that he had been compelled to give directions that no parcel should be received at apsley house without a written order with his signature like that which he now enclosed as the duke's servant was waiting i gave him the book which he took back and i retained the slip of paper for any other similar occasion the duke dressed in his carriage the duke was habitually an economist of time one day i was going homeward in a cab to dress for a dinner engagement when i thought i observed him riding down st james's street towards the house of lords on reaching the house of the friend with whom i was to dine i found that the duke of wellington was expected at dinner he arrived punctually in the course of the evening i took an opportunity of asking him whether i was mistaken in supposing i had seen him a short time before dinner riding down st james's street i then expressed my surprise at the rapidity of his movements in getting back to apsley house in time to dress and be punctual to his engagement he said no i did not do that i had ordered my carriage to meet me at the house of lords and i changed my dress whilst it was bringing me here the most interesting conversations generally occurred when only a few of his intimate friends met together on one of these occasions at a very small dinner party the characters of the french marshals became the subject of conversation the duke being appealed to pointed out freely their various qualities and assigned to each his peculiar excellence curious question the duke's reply one question the most highly interesting of all naturally presented itself to our minds i was speculating how i could without impropriety suggest it when to my great relief one of the party addressing the duke said well sir how was it that with such various great qualities you licked them all one after another the duke was evidently taken by surprise he paused for a moment or two and then said well i don't know exactly how it was but i think that if any unexpected circumstance occurred in the midst of a battle which deranged its whole plan i could perhaps organize another plan more quickly than most of them this strongly confirms the view of the duke of wellington's character given in the preceding pages 
after examining all the more important combinations which might be made for the conflict and having selected those which appeared the best it is quite natural if any accident deranged the original plan that he should perceive more quickly than another commander one amongst the many plans previously rejected which was immediately applicable to the new and unexpected circumstances End of section fourteen